You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Well, howdy, all my friends. This is the Pimp Cron. This is the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. And it is episode number 70. And what are we doing tonight? We are discussing the Slaves to Darkness uh, start collecting set. And uh, that's on the Want That or Want That Not. We also have a snippet, a five-minute segment, from one of our open roundtable discussions at Shorehammer this past year. And we're discussing tanks in Melee, and we're also discussing drop pods. And various people chime in and give us their opinions of it. Now, you got to keep in mind, this is Saturday night, and um, some people have a little bit to in them to drink. You may notice, you may not notice. Um, nothing's crazy or anything like that in the recording, but just, you know, people are having a good time, and it's a, it's a little bit of heckling each other, a little bit of joking around, because everyone's friends, and uh, or even if they're not friends, everyone acts like friends at Shorehammer. So um, that is pretty fun, and um, we had, I think, like, I think we had like 30 people. I counted, I think it was around 30 people for the uh, round table, um, which is not bad for a Saturday night when most people are down at the bar drinking or playing pickup games or any of those other things. But um, it's always fun. I enjoy that. And we spoke, man, we we were only slotted for one hour and we spoke for two straight hours. Uh, everybody, we talked about everything under the sun and uh, you'll be seeing these dripped and drabbed into every episode from now on um, until we run out of the material, but they're always fun. Uh, you get a lot of different opinions, a lot of different points of view, a little bit of arguing, a little bit of heckling, a lot of jokes. It's it's just a good time. The whole thing is good-natured. Um, the audio quality is not quite as good as what you might be expecting from us, but uh, obviously we're in a huge uh, ballroom and the acoustics are not the best, and we're using a hotel microphone, which is also not the best, but Overall, it's not bad. It's listenable, so hopefully you enjoy that. And the main topic for tonight is Real Talk with the Pimpcron. Um, we've all heard of narrative missions and narrative gaming for wargaming, and we've all heard of RPGs, but they aren't very compatible. And I recently had an epiphany about exactly why they're not quite compatible. And I won't get into it right now, but suffice it to say, they are essentially oil and water, and it is very difficult to make the two of those things mix because they're actually opposites and I'll explain it in the segment. So what have I been up to this last week? Well, I've been painting a couple more Night Haunt. I had some, uh, uh, I don't even know what they're called. I forget. The horse face dudes painted more of them. Um, I started a, uh, Legios Broadwater warband for the, um, uh, brutality and I never have owned a Legios Broadwater, uh, warband before. So that's what I started. I've done some kit bashing. I got a uh, big Nautilus guy from uh, Heroclix. He's a Yellow Lantern normally. I don't know what his name is or whatever, but uh, he's this dude. He looks like a big underwater Nautilus, and I essentially cut his hands off, uh, cut his arms off, and gave him orc arms holding a rocket launcher, and uh, it looks pretty awesome. I completely repainted him, gave him very um, natural color scheme that uh, I looked online for uh, color schemes of Nautiluses. And uh, turned out really good. The other kit bash I did was a Space Marine Scout with uh, Black Manta's head. So I had the um, you know the real flat dome head, and the body happens to have a shotgun. So I I put those two together, completely repainted it in different shades of blue, and uh, really happy with that. And I just flat out found a Mage Knight 
guy that was like carapace creature or something like that. And he's a mix of a crab and one of the um, angler fish, the ones with the little light right in front of their face from the, the super deep water. And um, he's like a crab angler fish and he's awesome. So I just repainted him. He was very, very red and I made him more in orange tones. And uh, I'm almost finished painting my hero slash monster for that warband and is a great white shark with arms and legs. And it's just a Reaper Bones miniature. I did not change that one at all. I don't know what he's called. I didn't look it up, but he's going to be my monster because he's pretty awesome. He'll go on like a uh, uh, 50 millimeter base or something like that. Uh, like a Dreadnought base, whatever that is. Um, so that's what I've been up to. And I played a game this week with my buddy Tim and my other buddy Derek and my other buddy Connor. We did a two-on-two. -two. And they did Ultramarines and um, Imperial Guard. And Tim and I did... Uh, Tim did Imperial Guard and I did Gene Stealer Cult. And uh, I, I do truly love my Gene Stealer Cult. I got my butt handed to me in the first turn or two. And I was thinking, oh god, this is not going to end well. But it was, we were using the Arctic Effect table from the Epic War Planner, and we were using um, uh, one of the missions from the Epic War Planner. So, essentially, this uh, these things were dropping down on the ground, the, and we knew kind of where they were gonna possibly drop, but we didn't know exactly where they were gonna drop. And um, luckily for Tim and I, we managed to pull out a win um, through sheer perseverance. I could not believe that by the end of turn two or three, I still had models on the board. It was pretty amazing. And, um, I mean, I took a serious beating, though. Tim took all tanks, and I took all the the crappy, crappy infantry of the Gene Stealer Cult. And um, I got to tell you, Derek and Connor handed it to us quite a bit. But we, we were able to... Um, you know, hold our own. And it was pretty fun because essentially it's like a cross pattern. There's five different potential places the objectives could drop. And um, there's like three across the center and then one in our deployment, one in theirs. And it's randomized where they drop. And it just so happens that they had both flanks well under control, but not the center. And the center three objectives, um, like our deployment, dead center of the board, and then their deployment down the... the I don't know what you call it, but down the center of the board short ways, not the center of the board long ways, is where the objectives ended up dropping. And it was awesome because um, my broodlord or my patriarch was able to literally run across the field, beat the shit out of a unit of, um, I can't, it's the new primary scouts, whatever they called, not the rifles, but the guys with the knives. And um, I gave him a Warlord trait for an extra attack and extra strength. And then I gave him a Psychic Power with an extra strength and extra attack. So he was getting eight attacks. He was strength eight. And not only he rerolls wounds, he's just a beast. So um, he was definitely my MVP. I play the old... Of course, I have the new model for the Patriarch. But um, I prefer to use my old kind of derpy metal Birdlord, the um, Patriarch. The one from the original Gene Stealer Cults when they came out in, I think it was second edition. Um, so I have this kind of derpy looking patriarch, but I love him. He's got character to him. And he's about half the size, maybe two thirds the size of the new patriarch. But uh, he, he shredded it, man. He completely was able to hold his own. And I'm not lying to you. He survived two full turns of shooting. I mean, two full turns of tanks and of snipers, 
and of guardsmen, you know, rapid firing, and another full turn of rapid firing guardsmen, and man, he just, I was saving, he's got a, I think a five up involved, maybe a four up, I forget, but uh, I was just saving and saving and saving and saving, and uh, luckily he was able to survive and just keep kicking ass the rest of the game. So that was a, a real good thing for us. I think we won 10 to 2, it might be. Might be ten to three or four, but either way, we we were able to pull it out, and I was I was excited. Um, you, when you're facing ultramarines and guard, it's a little scary, but we managed to somehow hold off. I don't know how, but we did. Uh, kind of one of the funnier things in that game is that a Lord Commissar and my Magus just kind of slap fight at each other <laughs> for for two full melees, where he had a power sword and I had my staff. And he'd whiff all of his hits, and I'd whiff all my hits, and then I ran away, and then he chased me down, and he charged, and he whiffed all of his hits, and I whiffed all my hits, and it was it was pretty sad, honestly. Meanwhile, the Patriarch in the center of the board is just, like, tanking every shot the unit can give them, and uh, meanwhile, the Magus is just slap-fighting a Commissar in the corner by himself. It was pretty funny. Um... But anyway, that's essentially it. I'm also reformatting the Brutality Rulebook, expanding the lore for each one of the factions, um, and uh, I'm going to be adding AI tables, and I'm converting all of the missions to be solo compatible, not just competitive against a human player, but also solo competitive, which is exciting. And I think that's about it. So I will let you go on with the episode. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope I don't ramble too much with the old... Um, RPG versus war game mixture because man it is it's a very hard concept to get into words and formulate to tell someone else I don't know why it's like I know it in my head and I my lips just can't formulate it but we'll see want that or want that not It's time for Want That or Want That Not with the Pimpcron, and today I'm covering the start collecting set, Slaves to Darkness. That's right. Let's see what's inside the Slaves to Darkness. There's a dude riding a giant po- potato. A giant a giant four-legged white pota- potato. Yeah, but he's cool looking, though. He's really cool looking. He's, um, I don't know what this thing is that he's riding. It's like an angry potato, I think. But it is scaly. It's got lizard scales. Uh, he's on it. He looks like he's having the time of his life. And it's a pretty cool looking model, actually. There is also, in this box set, at least three. Let me see. At least three. Nope, make that five. Five new knights for Chaos Knights. And I have the old metal Chaos Knights. They look fine. I use them. They're perfectly usable. Then they came out with the plastic chaos knights several years ago and those look awesome the horses are real stocky they're covered in broke armor and you know they're they're pretty cool looking the knights got beefed up the horses got beefed up well then apparently they found steroids because now there's new models of chaos knights and they look even cooler their horses are even more roided up i'm assuming their testicles are smaller uh it is it's just they are all beefy. Uh, the poses are way cooler. They're all sprinting and running. Most of them are on like one foot as far as the model is connected to the base, and they just look awesome. Then we've got the Slaves to Darkness, the regular Chaos Warriors, which personally I've always thought were a little bit boring. 
I have some Chaos Warriors that I've actually converted into Slith for my Dark Eldar. And the Chaos Warriors in the past have always been extremely, um, how do you put it, monopose. Because if you've ever put them together, or rather if you haven't put them together, every single model is essentially the exact same with this dude standing here just like with his shoulders pulled up to his ears and he's just like standing there essentially. And the they don't really have arms because they're under cloaks. So what they have is they have two elbow joints sticking out from each side of his torso. And you stick this little forearm and hand out of those elbow joints. So everyone's kind of looking like they're a rock'em sock'em robot. And uh, I mean, those models are still fine. I mean, I, you know, they're still fine. But these new models are banging. They have all kinds of personality. I don't see a single one out of the 10 sculpts that is the exact same sculpt. They've got maces, they've got axes, they've got swords, they've got shields, they've got all kinds of stuff. They're all very dynamically posed. I would not be surprised if they are mono-posed, because that's what Age of Sigmar does nowadays. But they all look awesome. I usually, I actually play Blades of Corn, but I have a lot of corn mortals in my army. If you're going to get this box set, uh, I see absolutely no reason to not get it. Was that worded weirdly? I think it was. But essentially $95. Look, we all have already dealt with the new start collecting prices, the price hike from what, 80, 85 to 95. But you know what? This is five Chaos Knights. They are banging. They're looking awesome. They're full of ro roid rage. And 10 Chaos Warriors, which are also way cooler than the old ones. All different unique poses, all very dynamic and action-filled instead of a bunch of Rock'em Sock'em robots. And then you get this really cool leader on some sort of reptilian potato, which really, what else can you ask for? And it's a definite want that for me. Uh, I don't play Slaves to Darkness per se, but I do really, really like this set, and I'm always a sucker for uh, Chaos Mortals, and I definitely say you go get it. Uh, I don't care if you do or don't play the army. I definitely think you should get it. They have completely revamped two old units into something way cooler looking. And uh, they have a brand new unit, which is the dude on the reptilian potato. So, uh, you know, I make fun of it, but seriously, it's an awesome looking model. It, it does not look bad at all. It's just, I, I just can't identify what it is, but <laughs> it's still cool. I mean, I could say that about some of my ex-girlfriends, you know, I couldn't... Couldn't really identify what they were, but they looked cool. So, anyway, that's it. Go buy it. Now, here's an idea. Alright, so we want to start tonight with a complaint. I'm going to grab the sticky knob one more time. Can you hear me alright? Alright. So we're going to start tonight with a complaint from Josh. Josh has a complaint about the close combat system. What is it, Josh? It's the fact that uh, close combat against vehicles completely neuters vehicles and armies such as Astro Militarum become rendered completely useless by close combat. I think that tanks should just still be able to shoot, but maybe at a reduced ballistic skill, maybe minus one, because my tank isn't going to forget to shoot just because someone's touching it. It's still a tank. All right, we've got lots of hands. Hold on. Walt, next. While narratively I'm with you, I totally get you from a narrative standpoint. Every game should have a certain level of rock, paper, scissors to it. And I feel like the reason why you can't shoot is due to a rock, paper, scissors mechanic to give melee some sort of objective. So a, a, an army who goes 
melee based needs a way to shut down the shooting and the answer is get into melee otherwise they need some sort of alternative otherwise they're just you're shooting all day and they just die and never get there and why it's powerful i don't and it i get the narrative set i really feel like you do need to have a certain balance in a almost rock paper scissors format to kind of make it work all right bill's next bill so actually on that topic um it just as a suggestion for it, if you play the superior game system, Age of Sigmar, that's not a problem. <laughs> well, you, you... See, I, I think the uh, the compromise is kind of similar along what Walt was talking about, but if you look at, like, the Baneblade Super Heavy rules, where you could shoot your sponsons into the combat you're at, but your turret has to go somewhere else. So if you could be in combat and maybe you have to shoot at a minus one and your turrets can only go into close combat, I feel like that is kind of a a good compromise because if everybody's in close combat you still don't have any targets for your main sponson or your main gun you'd only be able to shoot sponsons while i agree with you then you don't get to do any close combat because there's no way that a tank is punching me <laughs> i get it but that's my point like like there should be some sort of uh, i get what you're saying there should be a, a yeah you get to get one of those and i feel like that's kind of why they give you a close combat so I, I kind of see what you're saying with the, like, you want something in close combat, but also think about, like, if you're in traffic, driving a car, right, and it's really bad traffic, you're just like, holy crap, I want to get out of here. And you're just like, all I'm trying to do is get out of here. And, and, and so, like, if, if, if something is coming at you with, like, power fist or something, and uh, they're going to break the crap out of your tank, your whole idea is just to get away. You're not going to fight back. Yeah, you're gonna shoot, but but you're gonna you're gonna fall back and then shoot. So yeah, I kind of get what he's saying though, because like imagine you're part of the Astro Militarum, right? And you're scared, you know, list trying to make that work, and all of a sudden the literal half of your entire thing just dents in as a thunder hammer kicks in. He's like, oh god. I feel like that's kind of part of what's happening. That's a lie because nobody in the Astro Militarum has ever been scared because the Emperor protects. Drop mine. <laughs> you don't matter. All right, Josh, did you get to speak again? This is what I want. I want to make Tank Shock great again. I want to make Tank Shock a thing again. I want Tank Shock. All right, so next, uh, one last thing. All right. I think we should take it one step further and uh, I'll be able to drop drop pods on people. Yep. So uh, I was talking about this for a little bit when we were talking about the drop pods last year. I was like, you know, it'd be great if your drop pods worked like, cool, I'm putting this drop pod down. Here's my chit. It's coming down turn two. Move out of the way or get hurt. And you take the amount of damage equal to the hit points of the drop pod. Move out of the way. The range is the range for that drop pod is known. We all know what the damage for that would be. Move out of the way. That's where it's dropping. So it's like, hey, that thing is dropping from a thousand feet away. Maybe I should get out the way. Not a bad idea. I actually like that idea. Josh. So, so to piggyback off of what you said, I do agree with that. It makes sense that a drop pod should be able to come down and mess up whatever it's hitting. But at the same time, to make certain things relevant, such as say hydras, no one uses them anymore because no one uses air. You should be able to intercept things like that, or at least have a chance to counter it. Because before in later editions, when a drop pod came down, you you were just screwed. It was it. All right, just Walt, Walt's dying inside. <laughs> now it's time for real talk with Pimp Cron.
Hey everybody, it's time for Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and today I had an epiphany I wanted to share with you. Yes, an epiphany. I, the knower of all, had an epiphany. But why isn't there a genre that mixes both of them better? Um, Wargaming is more about, you know, competitive strategy, and role-playing is not necessarily about that. It's more about telling a story and problem-solving and working together. So I recently had an epiphany of exactly why those two things don't mesh and why it is very difficult to marry those two ideas and those two genres. It may not be impossible, but it's very, very difficult. So I've been working hard on revamping the Brutality rulebook for publication, for actual print, so you can actually get the book. Um, the rules will always still be free, but the book will be nice and pretty, and it's something to hold in your hands. And personally, I am someone who likes to hold a book in my hands. I do not like the, um, the... I don't care for digital formats. I guess I'm just an old man like that. I don't know why. So this is an ample time for me to add new things to Brutality and help expand the lore now that it's going to be longer pages and uh, things like that. So one of the things I wanted to add is that we already have a... RPG element to the game, and if you're only interested in Warhammer and not Brutality, don't hang up the podcast just yet, because this really applies to both games, but this is my explanation of how I got to this uh, grand epiphany, this life-changing situation. So I was trying my hardest to figure out how you add more role-playing game elements to a war game, such as Brutality or Warhammer. And I was racking my brain because, you know, I've played many, many RPGs in my life and I've played many, many war games in my life. And Brutality already has a uh, veneer of RPG element to it because your models take damage, such as like wounds. You know, you might take a leg wound and it reduces your movement or you might get an arm wound and it reduces your fighting skill or whatever as the game goes on. So there's already a slight element to that. Also, all the missions are very narrative-driven because there's it's always a scenario that you're in with special rules and blah, blah, blah. So I was trying to add some more RPG elements to it, as in like a campaign. Whereas uh, in the ideal way, a campaign for 40k or a campaign for brutality would be a very narrative experience. But then you have to ask yourself, what exactly is a narrative experience? What does that mean when we say narrative? Well, obviously you're trying to tell a story, but in my perfect rose-colored world that I would love to live in, a true narrative experience tries to simulate real life while telling a story. And this works for Brutality or Warhammer in the fact that, you know, like in... Let's switch gears a little bit. In an RPG like Dungeons & Dragons, right, you have a group of people... And this is also in a perfect world with good players and a good DM. But you ideally have a group of people that are somewhat like-minded and have the same goals, more or less, and they are all together. That's why, you know, it's a it's a big no-no to break up the party and have, you know, half the people go one way and half the people go another. Not only is that a huge bitch to uh, Dungeon Master, that whole thing, because half your team is always bored while the other half is activating. Another reason why you want to keep your people together is because the story does not need to be told twice and you don't have to keep track of who knows what about the story versus who doesn't because, oh, I wasn't there or I was there or wait, were you in the room when this old man gave us this quest or whatever? You don't have to worry about it. This is why uh, dungeons are so popular 
with role-playing games is because they confine you in a single hallway, a single room, and your entire group is in one spot. It's very controlled. It's very hard. I mean, you can do it, clearly. You can do non-dungeon RPGs, but it gets harder and harder when you have wide open space and your players can spread out. Oh, I'm 200 feet away. Oh, I'm, I can't even see you. I'm so far away. Or I shoot the guy from a hundred yards away or, or whatever. It gets very difficult to be a real threat when your party can spread out. But when they're in a dungeon, they are forced to be near each other and, you know, traps happen and, and whatnot. But you just make sure that everyone is on the same page when you're playing a dungeon, uh, an RPG in a dungeon. Another key factor of everybody being close together is that everybody is on the same side and they get to make choices that affect everybody else and there's a cooperative element to it. So, you know, if you are all on the same side and it's a cooperative game, you are all going towards the same goal and you can try to be as competitive as you want versus the AI because essentially when you're playing against a dungeon master, you are playing against the AI, you're not playing against other players. On the flip side of this, Warhammer or Brutality or whatever, if you are not playing a cooperative game, such as D&D, typically in these war games, you're opposing factions, obviously, because you're fighting, right? So it makes it very difficult to set up a narrative scenario where players have a choice that will affect the outcome because the players have a competitive mindset versus each other. And I'm not even talking about win-at-all-cost players or anything like that. If you are playing a war game, it is typically you versus your opponent. And, of course, you know, do you sneak up or do you strike while he's not looking? Well, clearly I'm going to strike while he's not looking because I'm trying to beat him. This is war. We're adversaries. Versus an RPG where you're trying to work cooperatively. So it makes it very difficult to tell a story and give players that are, you know, at their core opposed to each other because they're on opposite warring factions. It makes it very hard to give them choices because they're going to pick the most competitive choice that's in their favor because this is war. Uh, I hope I'm not talking in circles. This is just a very hard concept for me to put into words what has occurred to me. So even if you give them choice A and choice B, and they're nearly, nearly identical choices in different directions, if the player in a competitive game thinks that choice A is just even 1% better than choice B, then of course he's going to pick choice A. And the problem is, is that, you know, in a cooperative game, you can make a choice for your party, but you're trying to do what's best for your party. Unless you're a dumb asshole player, you're not going to be actively trying to sabotage your own party because it's cooperative. If you are in a competitive game, such as a war game campaign, if you're trying to add any sort of real narrative choices to the players, it's always going to come down to competitiveness. And that is highly, highly irritating. So... You know, you can tell a good story when everyone's on the same page. You can't when they're opposed. And let's let's just try to set up sort of scenario, okay? Um, let's say we're going to do a... And this is just off the top of my head. I'm going to try to illustrate this if I have not gotten my point across correctly because it's a very... It's like a multifaceted uh, idea and it's very hard for me to put it into words for some reason. So instead of circling the drain, let's let's have an example. Let's say that... 
in an RPG, this old man comes up and says, oh, I lost my ring in this pond over here. Please come get it for me, right? The players of the cooperative RPG are going to go, oh, well, let's go figure out how we do that. And the wizard is going to cast some sort of, you know, uh, water spell. And the ranger is going to get up in the tree and see if he can't see it in the water. And, you know, the bard is going to do something. But you're all working towards the same goal. Now, let's do this as a as a narrative uh, war game campaign that's trying to tell a story. You go up to the... Let's say we have one good, good guy player, one bad guy player, just for the sake of it. Um, the old man approaches the good guy player and says, Hey, I lost my ring in this pond. Then I need you to, you know, go get it for me. Okay, well, the the good player goes, okay, I'll go help you. He goes over to the pond. Well, this is really a scenario of man versus nature. This is really should not be a man versus man situation, but let's just say it is for some reason. The good player goes over there, and this he's got his work cut out for him. Now, you have to somehow include the bad guy player. How do you do that? Okay, well, you could say it was a trap because, you know, the bad guy player set this up in order to ambush the good guy player. You could say that the bad guy heard somehow, I guess overheard, the old man talk about the ring and says, oh, no, I want the ring for myself or something of that nature. They're going to they're naturally going to be against each other. So whether it's a trick or it's an ambush or they want the ring for themselves, whatever it is, then you suddenly have to throw conflict into it. The problem is that there, in every story, there's not always man versus man conflict. And in war games, there basically has to be man versus man conflict. And that is very hampering to a story. Not only logistically, like I said, how did the bad guy even hear about this ring? If, if let's say the old man is not on the bad guy's side, then what's he just sitting in the bushes? Is he just listening? Is he following the good guy players around and just, you know, eavesdropping on all their cell phone calls? Like, what? how does he even know about this? Or is the old man going up to literally every single group he can see and go, hey, I lost this ring, hey, I lost this ring, and acting like a true NPC? Following all this, then you have the issue of people in a normal RPG could just choose not to follow the old man. They go, too bad, old man. Uh, that's on you. I don't care about your ring. I don't care about you. We're not even going to participate. Okay. Then in a war game, you're essentially taking... So you, you plan this mission and you go, hey, old man comes up to you, needs help with the ring, blah, blah, blah. And the if you give them a choice, the good player could go, oh, well, I don't want to do it. And you go, oh... Okay, uh, well, I guess that's fine. <laughs> and then and then what? I mean, you can go on to another mission, but what just happened there? You have another element here, whereas normally the RPG people don't want to do it, and the movie, the story goes off in another direction. The problem here is you have the bad guys involved as well. The bad guys either overheard it, or they've been asked the same thing, or they're trying to ambush, or whatever. So they're just sitting there at the pond. Then what? I mean, it's it's just, it's very, very frustrating because in order to tell a story, you really need it from one point of view. That's why in a book, there's a narrator where the first person, third person, omniscient, whatever, there is a narrator and you're getting usually one or two sides of it, but the story has a main protagonist and a main antagonist and whether the story is focused on the protagonist or the antagonist is irrelevant, it's still going to be focused on one of them more than the other. 
And if you have two different people, or God knows a campaign in a store is many more people than just two, if you have more than two people, or, even, or let's say you just have two people, then y you can't uh, focus more on, let's say, the good player versus the bad guy player. You can't do that. You have to focus on both of them equally. I really feel like I'm talking in circles here. I hope I am not. I've had the same exact struggle. I explained this to all, all of this to my wife last night when I had the epiphany. And she was just, her eyes were glazing over and uh, she just totally didn't care. So hopefully I'm making more sense. But essentially what I'm trying to get across is that it is very difficult to have two opposing players, which war games are naturally opposing, two opposing players have the same amount of say in which way the story goes. It just doesn't really work that well, unfortunately. Um, so what you end up doing, and this is something that I'm struggling with currently, because, you know, like my um, Pimp Crown Epic War Planner, right? Or I should just call it Epic War Planner, because that's the actual title of it. The Epic War Planner adds narrative elements to the war game, but does not change the war game into an RPG, let's say. And... In a war game, because it's competitive, balance is a big deal. You have to figure out exactly how to balance it so that it changes the flavor of the story, but it doesn't unbalance the story. You know, it doesn't unbalance the game. Because ultimately, we still want to have a balanced game and tactics have to win out. Whereas RPGs is much more softer and much more fluid and... You know, you don't really have winners and losers in RPGs because it's a shared experience and you're trying to tell a story. So the best compromise that I can find so far, and I'm still working this over with Brutality, is that I want to try to merge even further the idea of a war game and an RPG. And Brutality already has a lot of those RPG elements, but I would like it to be even more role-playing-esque or really narrative is, is the point I'm really trying to get. Not really role-playing, but even more narrative in telling the story. So far, I've been playing around with a lot of different things, such as a deployment matrix, I'll say. So in the beginning of the game, you both are presented with an issue. You say, hey, uh, let's say the old man, you both find out about the old man in the ring in the pond. All right, this is what I'm working through right now for the new Brutality Edition. You both find out about the old man in the pond, and you have different options. One of you uh, might choose to ambush, and you have to like write that down in secret. The other one of you might choose to help, and you write that down in secret, you know, like, go into the pond and look. And the other one might be, you know, something else, I don't know. But the point is, is that what you would then do is reveal how you both want to handle the situation, and then you compare them, and there would be like a chart. If there's three options, you know, ambush, help, uh, I guess prevent help, that sort of thing, keep them from the pond, that sort of thing then there would be a nine square matrix of, okay, if you choose ambush and I choose ambush, then it's the same deployment as normal where we're both on either side because we both got there at the same time trying to ambush each other, right? Okay, if you chose ambush and I chose help, well, then it's a regular ambush mission and you got there before me, you're already there, I'm going to go in there and try to help, and that's that. All right, if you chose, you know... Uh, try to prevent us from doing it and I chose help well then you're going to meet us with the pond behind you you will between be between us and the pond you know because you're trying to prevent it from us um, and vice versa it would be that sort of thing where 
if you both choose the same option in the matrix, then you would both have just normal deployment because you both canceled each other. And But then it actually gives players a chance to choose their deployment and, hey, whatever it is, you got to take into consideration what you think your army would do and you also have to take into consideration exactly what you think your opponent will choose as well for their deployment. And then it's balanced because you both are affecting each other. You know, that sort of thing is interesting to me. And I feel like that could really work out. Now, that takes a lot more playtesting and things like that. But at least both players are making choices. And it's still competitive in a way because they don't know what the other one is going to choose. And they both reveal it at the same time. And both of their choices, you look on the matrix where they line up, kind of like the old, you know, uh, uh, not fighting skill, uh, weapon skill chart, you know, or the wounding chart in the old editions of Warhammer. You would line, figure out where they meet and you'd go, oh, that's what we're going to do. Um, you know, that's so you might choose ambush, but you might actually, you know, OK, what if you chose ambush? You want to get there first. But the other guy chose interrupt you and keep you from the pond. Well, then I think that would probably take precedence because he got there before you did. He was trying to interrupt you or something of that nature. I'd have to work through it. But you get the point. This is a very this is the type of stuff that really, really excites me. I've always really, really been interested in game mechanics and uh, the not the crunch in a win-at-all-cost player way, but the crunch as in the probability and the ability to give players their own choice and, you know, that sort of thing. It's very hard to put into words, but um, this is the type of thing that I'm not lying to you. I'm laying awake at night in bed going, oh man, what if I made a matrix for deployment and this guy chose this and this guy chooses this and it actually affects each each other's way to deploy and blah, blah, blah. And eventually my wife just hits me with a pillow and is like, shut up. And then I, then I have to shut up. I'm terribly afraid of her. Anyway, I hope I did not confuse you or irritate you or just bore you to death because this is something I find terribly fascinating. And I just realized the reason why RPGs and, or I'll, I'll say cooperative games and competitive games, why they don't mix. And this is the exact same way. It's too hard to tell a story when you have two different factions that supposedly have the same weight in a campaign. So hopefully that was a good summary of that because boy, I have struggled putting it into words. <laughs>